the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Well, good morning, everyone. Hope you're having a wonderful day. This is your host, Al Fadi, and you're with us at Let Us Reason. Uh, Sam Shimon, Lord willing, will be joining us again next week. But uh, in honor of him, by the way, I am actually going to address something that uh, he's been passionate about, uh, which is writing. And one of those articles that I enjoy the most, and obviously I want to use it to support what I'm going to be saying to you, is about a verse in the Quran found in chapter 10 of the Quran, verse 94. And here's what the verse says, actually. And of course, you can always go to uh, Answering Islam, which is answering-islam.org, search uh, under Sam Shamoon, or put like the, the phrase Surah 10, colon 94, or Muhammad's doubts or anything like that. Well, it will all bring you many of these articles that were written. But I want to just use this uh, as if Sam is with us here, but at the same time, just to use it as support, you know, because no one, I don't want anyone to accuse me like I'm making up and fabricating things. This is a, a, a very well-written article, of course, that has a, in, a, a lot of uh, Islamic references and so on and so forth. But here's the topic. Muhammad actually doubted the fact that he was a prophet, believe it or not. Yet another reason why the, someone has to question the capacity and the uh, mental ability and capacity of this particular man who claimed to be a prophet, yet he was doubting his own prophethood. Okay? This is found in chapter 10 of the Quran, verse 94 and 94, 95 within the context itself. It is, I'm going to read one of those translations for you in English. Here's what it says. And if you, and in basically quotation, uh, in parentheses it says Muhammad, meaning that this is an address to Muhammad. And if thou art in doubt concerning that which we reveal unto thee, then question those who read the scriptures that was before thee. Verily, the truth from thy Lord has come unto thee, so be not thou of the weavers, uh, of the waverers, I should say, and be not thou of those who deny the revelations of Allah, for then were thou of the losers. Wow. I mean, let me look at a couple of other translations just to soften the blow. I'm going to use Hilal Yan Khan translation. He says, So if you, O Muhammad, are in doubt concerning that which was revealed, which we have revealed unto you, and then he elaborates and says, i.e., that your name is written in the Torah and the Injil, then ask those who are reading the book, meaning the Torah, and the Injil. By the way, the Torah is reference to the Old Testament Torah. Injil is reference to the Gospel. Before you. Okay, so in other words, Muhammad, if you're doubting that you are a prophet and that what you're receiving from us is revelation sent by us, then go to the people who have the Bible 
both Jews and Christians, and ask them, why? Because supposedly you are mentioned in their book. At least this is the commentaries on this passage. But here's the problem. Why would Muhammad doubt in the first place? You see, this is why we need to ask ourselves this question. In fact, when Muhammad supposedly received the revelation for the very first time in a cave in the year 610 AD, he wasn't actually excited. He was terrified, thought that he was demonically possessed. Now, folks, let's think about it. In the Bible, when the angel or the angel of the Lord or the Lord appears, you always have a phrase like, do not be afraid, right? Muhammad didn't hear something like this. Right there, we do have a problem because the message Muhammad received totally is different than what the biblical message always been. Do not be afraid. He didn't hear that. Number two, why would Muhammad actually be doubting? And number three, why would verse 95 rebuke him for doubting if he's denying these revelations that he will be one of those who are losers? Okay? Now, obviously, Muslims are going to do their best to try to defend the fact that it is not Muhammad that is being addressed here, meaning if you are in doubt, it's actually the Muslims in general that this is to them. But if that's the case, then why didn't the Quran use the usual method which will tell Muhammad to tell the Muslims by saying, say, Muhammad, and then the message? We don't read something like this, okay? The translators actually, a couple of times, capture the fact that this was addressed to Muhammad, so they put the name Muhammad in parentheses to try to show you that Muhammad is the one who was being addressed. The message actually is in the singular, not in plural, okay? But also... Let's hypothetically use this argument that this is a a message of anticipation, meaning the God of Islam anticipated Muslims will be doubting, and therefore he has given them a way out of their doubt. Now, if we take this approach, which many Muslims, by the way, would like to use, then the Quran right here in this verse have already confirmed the authority of the Bible. Why would you go to a book that you're claiming to be corrupt to at least get a message of truth from it? That's number one dilemma. The second dilemma also, when you appeal to another source to confirm your source, you are technically lowering your standards and status and making yourself inferior to the other source, because that other source that you are appealing to is superior to you. In other words, if I go and quote from a source, all I'm saying is, I really either don't have enough knowledge, or in order to confirm the truth I'm sharing with you, I'm showing you that someone before me said the exact same thing. So the other source is already worthy, it's superior to me, And especially in this case of Muhammad claiming to have revealed the word of God. If the word of God is revealed, why would it appeal to another book that Muslims deny to begin with? Okay? So this is why this particular verse is extremely important. Extremely important. Why? Because it's showing that the founder of Islam, the father of Islam, Uh, or the prophet of Islam, I should should say, the prophet who 
brought the message of Islam was doubting the very message that he is sharing and supposedly was rebuked as a result of this. Now, it's fine that Muhammad basically allowed this verse to be recorded. Uh, I commend the Muslims for writing it in the Quran. I commend the fact that even the rebuke against Muhammad is mentioned right there, but that's not the issue. Even the Bible does things like this. The issue is, why would Muhammad be doubting anyway in the first place? In fact, here's what's so troubling about Muhammad's doubt. In fact, if we study the early history of Muhammad, Muhammad supposedly uh, had the revelations basically that were revealed to him stop or cease for anywhere from three months to some will estimate up to six, uh, up to three years. So from three months to up to six years, Muhammad wasn't receiving such revelation. Now, when Muhammad did not receive such revelation, here is what happened, basically. It says that uh, Muhammad actually became more distressed, and as a result of this, he wanted to commit suicide by throwing himself from the top of the mountain. I'm going to read one of those uh, prominent Islamic commentators in the Quran. His name is Al-Tabari, and this is what he says. He says, Muhammad ibn Abdullah ibn Thawr, uh, Muammar al-Zuhri, so he's reporting people, basically, that uh, they are giving him the sources. He's saying, the inspiration ceased to come to the messenger of God, this is Muhammad, for a while, and he was deeply grieved. He began to go to the tops of mountain crags in order to fling himself from them. But every time he reached the summit of a mountain, uh, this is the claim, Gabriel appeared to him and said to him, You are the prophet of God. Thereupon his anxiety would subside and he would come back to himself. Did you catch this? Muhammad was doubting that he's a prophet. And he wants to go to the top of the mountain to throw himself from that top. Why? He doesn't want to fly. If you want to throw yourself from the top of the mountain, obviously you want to die. Okay? There's another, uh, basically, um, tradition. This is mentioned in the Hadith. It's a long tradition. It's in volume 9, book 87 of Sahih Bukhari. And in English, it's number 111. And it says this, But after a few days... One of the people that used to help Muhammad, his name is Waraka. Waraka died, and the divine inspiration was also paused for a while. And the prophet became so sad, as we have heard that he intended several times to throw himself from the tops of high mountains. Why would the prophet throw himself up from the top of mountains if unless he was doubting that he was a prophet. Now the verse makes sense, because Muhammad was doubting that he was a prophet. And I'm thankful that the Quran actually did report to us this, because now I want to ask my Muslim people, why would the prophet of Islam be doubting that he's a prophet? And how long was he doubting? Because if we study actually the chronological order of these chapters, it appears that this particular verse was revealed towards the end of his first 13 years in Mecca. We're not talking about the first six months 
the first year, the first two years. I mean, even if that happened during the early time, it's still problematic anyway. But we're not talking at least to, to justify this argument that it happened at the early time of his ministry. It appeared to have happened towards the middle time of his ministry. By then, Muhammad should have been comfortable that he is a prophet from God, that he's receiving revelation from God. But sadly, this is not what we are hearing. Lord willing, pray for me. I will be posting this this week as well in my Facebook page, which you can always find at either alfadi.sira, C-I-R-A, or our ministry page, Sira International, one word, C-I-R-A International, one word. Or you can always, of course, access it directly through our website at sirainternational.com. So I'll be basically uh, writing on this simply because I want to utilize it as another proof that Muhammad uh, wasn't a prophet from God, that he never ever received revelations from God, that whatever he was receiving, he himself wasn't even convinced to have been from God, and therefore uh, he was really having a lot of doubts about his own message, which is very problematic. Now, here is another post that I posted on August 20th called The Islamic Dilemma, which is the series that I've been titling for a while now. And this particular subtitle is called Contradictory Apologetics, The Top Three Muslim Contradictions. It is what I mean by that. Muslims oftentimes will make these claims, yet they make claims that cannot be substantiated. For instance, one of those claims or contradictions in their own argument is that the Bible is corrupt, yet the Quran or the Hadith, meaning the word of their God Allah or the Hadith, the words of their Prophet Muhammad, never ever stated that the Bible as a book is corrupt. In fact, as I mentioned in my previous episode last week, It even quoted directly from the Bible multiple times and alluded to many stories that are found in the Bible. And yet, why is it so hard for the God of Islam to say, do not go to the Bible? In fact, we just mentioned right now that if you're in doubt, ask the people of the book. Why would you go and ask the people of the book if their book is corrupt? So that's one of these contradictions. Another contradiction is if you are in Muslim ministry and if you're dealing with Muslims and if you share the truth with Muslims, you will always hear this. Paul invented Christianity. In other words, what Muslim, what Christians believe in today about the crucifixion of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection and the ascension and the blood atonement and saved by faith, by grace, by grace, by faith. All of it, they say, it's inventions by Paul. Okay? But here's the problem. The Quran not once ever mentioned the name Paul or rebuked Paul. Yet, actually, what is so interesting, a couple of times in the Quran, it makes reference to apostles were sent by Jesus. And if you go to the commentator, the commentators of those passages will tell you, guess what? These are the apostles of Jesus, and here are their names, and you guessed it. They list Paul as one of those messengers or apostles that Jesus sent. Never that says anything negative about him. Rather, they affirmed that Jesus has apostles and he sent these apostles with his message. 
and the message was also delivered by people like Paul. Here's another contradiction. They always, meaning the Muslim people, will say Jesus is not God in the flesh. Okay? The problem is the Quran makes a lot of pro a lot of contradictions here. First, it will claim that the Christians believe that Allah is the Messiah or God is the Messiah, which is a problem. We do not believe in this. We believe that the Messiah is God in the flesh. Okay? It's a big difference to say God is a person, meaning he has a human body as his nature, versus God took on the form of a person, as the Bible teaches. Okay? But number two, the Quran actually makes the claim that Jesus is the Word of God, giving by Allah to Mary. So if Allah, who is in heaven, gave his Word to Mary to be born as a child, please help me understand what does this sound like? Doesn't it sound like the word of God, which is God himself, is born in the flesh? Doesn't the Quran actually confirm this? You'll find this in chapter 4, verse 171, for instance. And on top of that, it calls Jesus the spirit of God. So, unless a Muslim thinks that God didn't have a word and he created it, and did not have a spirit and he created it, then we have a problem here, because the word of God and spirit of God are one and the same as God. That's his nature, part of his nature. So a Muslim have to wrestle with these kind of claims because it contradicts what their own teachings are talking about. Okay? So these are the things that I typically like to deal with on my Facebook. For instance, another series I would like to mention to you, I like to call it the exact phraseology syndrome. Okay? The exact phraseology syndrome. You're going to say, what's that? Well, many times if you are dealing with Muslims, they always come back to you and say, show me in the Bible, where did Jesus say, I am God, worship me. Now, your first instinct will say, oh, that's easy, I can show you. Little that you knew that a Muslim actually was asking you to show him the exact phrase that Jesus says, I am God, worship me, exactly like this. And after you exhaust your time and your research and energy, you get disappointed because after spending all this time trying to prove why Jesus is God and why we worship him, and meaning why he is God incarnate who appeared to us in the flesh, uh, you will quickly get disappointed. So I'm using the same thing against our Muslim friends. I'm turning the table around. And I'm saying, if that's the way you want to play the game, then help me out here trying to answer some of these exact phrases. So Muslims will say Muhammad is inspired by God. Believe it or not, that there isn't a single verse in the Quran that says Muhammad by name. Meaning, in the same verse it says, and we inspired Muhammad. You will never find a single verse in the Quran that has more than 6,200 verses. In all of its current 114 chapters. Now, what would you call that? They attack us for things that we can justify. Yet when you turn the table around, you begin to see problems in their own book. Here's another problem. You go to the Bible and you see that many times in the prophets it will say the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Helekiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came. 
In Isaiah 8.1, then the Lord said to him, or said to me, I should say, this is Isaiah speaking, take a large table and write on it in common characters. God is asking him to do this, basically. Hosea, uh, the prophet Hosea says this, the word of the Lord that came to Hosea. Yet you won't find a single verse like this in the Quran. The word of the Lord came to Muhammad. Okay, This is Muhammad, the son of such and such, to whom the word of the Lord came. Once again, we find a lot of problematic themes and contradictions in the Quran that does not in any way match the theme, the style, and the genre, and also the motif that is found in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. These are the issues that I like to raise in my Facebook. Once again, you can find it basically, uh, uh, either my personal one, which is on Facebook. It's alfadi.sira. Yes, the word alfadi, one word, A-L-F as in Frank, A-D-I dot C-I-R-A, alfadi.sira. Or our ministry page, which is basically Sira International. You can go there and enjoy watching the videos that we release or enjoy reading these posts and interact with others and interact with the Muslims because uh, the idea is that these posts will help to create a learning atmosphere and an environment and a learning community that will interact with one another, will support each other, and will help one another for the glory of God and also to help our Muslim uh, friends who uh, some of them are very active on our page and we appreciate that and we ask them to continue to invite others but we also ask them to kindly, not to come to distract, to take the issue from the topic itself, the main point, to issues that has nothing whatsoever to do with what we're asking about. Here's what I mean. Many times we ask a question about something, all of a sudden the Muslim will start talking about the Trinity, talking about the corruption of the Bible, talking about the fact that Jesus is not God, even though the post itself has nothing whatsoever to do with this topic. So we kindly ask, do not distract. Now, some of the, uh, the Muslims on my page know me and know that I draw the line. And sometimes I will even delete these comments that are distracting. Because once you start down this tra uh, trail of distraction, you cause people to stray away from the main point And the point is lost completely. And my, my goal is to help those who are visiting our page to at least benefit from the discussions related to that particular topic. So if I delete your comment, it's nothing against you. It's just the fact that I am not here to try really to uh, uh, be a babysitter, try to tell you what you should and shouldn't do. I normally make it very clear in my post. This is what we're talking about. Therefore, please stick to it. Now, if you can't comment on it, I, that's fine. I'm not asking everybody to comment. And if you comment, just keep it to the point. This is the point why we try to do this. I know my time is almost up, so I want to just recap again. You can always, by the way, listen to this show and any of our other archived shows, whether it's my current series with our dear brother Sam Shimon, uh, who will be joining us uh, hopefully next week to continue our discussions about Christology in general and how you can prove also Christology from the Quran and build it as a bridge back to the Bible, or any of the other topics, whether it's political topics, uh, current events, or apologetics like this, or things related to updates on our Facebook, you can always go to our uh, pay, uh, website at sirainternational.com 
Once again, it's one word, Sierra, C-I-R-A, and then the word international, sierrainternational.com. In there, we have a lot of videos, a lot of interviews, a lot of lectures, and also soon we'll update and add sermons. And then we'll add even more videos. I have also a series that we started with our dear brother, uh, David Wood. We have at least one or two uploaded already in there. And then you can also uh, listen to the archive. We have a section for Let Us Reason in there. You can go all the way back to the beginning of our season one, which is almost three years ago. And uh, you can access our Facebook as well. Thank you again, as always, for uh, joining us, for participating, and for praying and supporting us. And we look forward to having you again next week. This is your host, Al-Fadi, and you've been listening to Let Us Reason. And until we meet again... Have a blessed week. J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.